Welcome to another episode of Vet School Unleashed, Dissecting the DVM, where we dissect topics and issues relating to life in veterinary school. I'm your host, Seth Williams, and I'm a veterinary student at the University of Missouri College of Veterinary Medicine. Before we get into today's topic, I wanted to ask you to please, if you haven't already, please leave us a review on iTunes. Reviews are a really great way to help me find out what you like about the podcast. And this episode would not be possible without the help of AVMA PLIT. The AVMA Professional Liability Insurance Trust offers complimentary student malpractice coverage to all active SAVMA members. So if you haven't already enrolled, please visit avmaplit.com slash unleashed and sign up for free today. So listen, today's episode is all about the nuts and bolts of arguably really the most important exam of your veterinary school career. Yes, the NAVLI. It's the exam that will really make or break your chance to actually practice veterinary medicine. And after all, isn't that why most of us went into vet school anyway? Now, I should have mentioned first off that the NAVLI is the official licensing exam to practice veterinary medicine in the U.S. and Canada. So I apologize to those of you that are listening outside of North America. I know that we have a lot of listeners from the U.K. and Australia especially But if you think that one day you may be interested in practicing in North America, keep listening. So obviously, if you're a fourth year, your ears probably just perked up a little bit about the NAVLI. But if you're a first year, a second year, and certainly a third year, it is never, never too early to start thinking about the NAVLI and getting acquainted with how the NAVLI actually works. Many of us have a lot of questions about the NAVLI, and in my opinion, they are pretty basic ones, but they are relatively hard answers to find. So it's really about the details of the exam, like how many questions there are, what's the species breakdown, how is it scored, um, how many breaks do you get, when is the test offered, and so on and so forth. So I've gone ahead and done some research on my own so that I can provide you with some of these answers to some of the questions that a lot of us are thinking when it comes to the NAVLI. As an FYI, I got most of this information off of the worldwide interweb at icva.net slash NAVLI, so feel free to visit that website if you want to learn more about the test yourself. All right, so without further ado, here is a quick guide to some of the most commonly asked questions about the NAVLI and some just very handy information in general. So here's a quick breakdown of what I'm going to touch on today. Number one, what is the NAVLI? And number two, what is the test format? Number three, when is the test offered and how many times can you take it? Number four, how much time is allowed for the test and for breaks? And number five, what is the species in question type and breakdown? And lastly, how is the test scored and what is the pass rate? So let's get right down to it. The first topic is what is the NAVLI exactly? So the NAVLE, or N-A-V-L-E, stands for the North American Veterinary Licensing Examination. Yes, a mouthful. It is given by the ICVA, which stands for the International Council for Veterinary Assessment. And passing this examination is required to practice veterinary medicine in the U.S. and Canada, so in North America. An important thing to note about the NAVLI is that the test is designed to test the knowledge of a veterinarian entering into their first year of practice. So this is a really important tidbit in my opinion. 
the Navli is likely not going to ask you about the zebras of vet medicine, the really weird stuff that, that we learn about in vet school, but it's pretty rare to see it out in practice. Really, the goal of the test is to make sure that you have the knowledge of really the average veterinary student that's graduating from veterinary school. In other words, if you're able to pass veterinary school, you in theory should be able to pass this exam. So how is the test formatted and, and how is it broken down? So first off, it should be uh, said, because it's definitely not implied, that the uh, the Navali is a multiple choice exam. There are no short answer questions, fill in the blanks, none of that fun stuff. It's all multiple choice. It is administered on a computer. And to my knowledge, I do not think it is available to be taken as a handwritten exam. Um, there may be some special arrangements that could be made, but for the uh, the vast, vast majority of us, it's going to be on a computer. And it's given at a third-party testing center, very similar to one of the testing centers that you visited to take either the GRE, I believe um, the MCAT, you know, SAT, ACT, those those are, are, uh, are given there. They're approved testing centers in most metro areas, so you're very likely to not have to travel very far to take the exam. The breakdown of the exam is this. It is comprised of six sections, and each section contains 60 questions. So if you do the math, that's a total of 360 questions. But here is another interesting tidbit. 60 out of the 360 of those questions are considered, quote, pre-test questions. So what this means is that those questions will not be counted in the scoring. I repeat that. 60 of the 360 questions are not included in the scoring. These are really just test questions that are uh, given by the people that write the exam to see if uh, if the questions can be used on future, future exams. Now, the other thing to note is that these quote-unquote pre-test questions will not be specifically labeled during the exam, so they'll be mixed in with the rest of the questions. In other words, you will have no idea which questions are these, these unscored questions. Um, so when you're going through it, just, you know, if you, uh, if you think you're totally stumped on a question, just wishful thinking that that's going to be a, a, a thrown out question anyways. All right. And when is the test offered? How many times can you take it? So the Navali is only offered two times in a calendar year. The first time in the cycle is November and December, and then is offered again later in April, uh, uh, the following spring. So definitely the vast majority of students pass in either their first or second attempt, but you may take the Navali up to five different times. Now, here is the caveat. Those five attempts must be completed within five years of the first attempt. So let's say you take the, your first exam in the year 2018, the, and you have to take the exam up to five times. The last attempt, the fifth attempt, must be taken by the year 2023. Furthermore, the fourth and fifth attempts must be taken at least one year from the previous attempt. So if uh, if you are taking the exam a fourth time, the exam has to be taken at least a year from the time you took the third attempt. But need not worry, I assure you that the majority of people are passing the exam on the first or second attempt. Uh, you can definitely check with your college or your university about the pass rates. Those numbers should be pretty readily available, um, and you may be pleasantly surprised at, at what those pass rates are. So that should give you a little bit more confidence as you prep for the exam. 
on to the next topic, which is the time allowed. So this gets a little bit muddy. Um, so try to follow. I'll try to try to list this out as, as clearly as possible. So like I mentioned before, there are six sections, 60 questions each. So each of those sections, each of the six, you will have 65 minutes to complete. If you finish a section early, let's say you finish it in half the time, that time that you did not use is unfortunately not added to the subsequent section. So really the 65 minutes resets at each section. You will have 45 minutes of total break time that's split up between the six sections however you want. So that really uh, is up to you on how you want to spend that break time. Um, I'll give a, a bit of a, a example schedule, example uh, break time use here in a second. But remember too that if you finish a section early, even though you won't be able to use that added time for the next section, you can use that time as break time. So in other words, if you finish one section in 30 minutes, you'll then have, have 35 extra minutes of break time. So if we're talking about total time for the day, just for you uh, to know what to expect, that's uh, six sections, like I mentioned, 65 minutes for each of those sections. So if you add all of that up with your 45 minutes of break time, that is about six and a half hours of total test time you're allowed with 45 minutes of break time added in there. From what I've heard from, from recent graduates and people that have taken the NAVLI in recent years, this is six and a half hours of test time. Usually is not needed, but it is there certainly if you need it. Um, I believe that the average, at least from the people that I've talked to, for taking the exam is between four and six hours. Um, so yes, it is a very long time, um, but, but everyone else that's uh, become a veterinarian in North America has done it, so you can do it too. So I promised that I would give you a bit of a schedule breakdown, a sample, um, so something that I, I thought of to make this a little bit more clear in terms of how breaks can work into the test. So you're going to go in for the exam. You're going to check in, which I could probably do a whole other podcast on the procedures for checking into these testing centers uh, with the security and, and, and cheating and all of that stuff. But uh, but that's for another another time. So you're going to get there, I believe, uh, start time, usually usually about eight o'clock. Let's say you sit down and you start your section one at eight thirty. So you're going to finish that uh, section. I'm not going to say how much time that it took you to finish that, but you're feeling pretty good after the first section that, you know, you've got some brain power left in you to go on to the second. So you're going to elect to actually not take a break between sections one and section two. You're going to go right into it. So you take section two and after that, you're feeling a little bit fatigued. So you're going to take a 10 minute break, 10 minutes in between section two and section three. So you can go out, use the bathroom, get a snack, do whatever you want and go back in and take section three. After that, you're still feeling pretty uh, pretty fatigued and, and your brain's starting to fry a little bit, so you're gonna wanna add a little bit more uh, break time. It's gonna be you know a, a couple, two to three hours after you started the, uh, the, the first section, so you're gonna take a 15 minute break between section three and section four. And now you're in the home stretch, you're gonna take section four, uh, you see the light at the end of the tunnel, and after section four, you're going to take a 10 minute break and you're going to push on through at section five, start that one and take another 10 minute break and do section six. So that uh, in a nutshell was about 45 minutes of break time split amongst five different break sessions that you will have in between the six sections. 
All right. After the break, we'll come back and we will talk about my favorite piece of research that I've done for this little project. It's going to be all about the species breakdown and questions and what questions are asked. But first, I wanted to give a shout out to today's sponsor, AVMA PLIT. So if you listen back to episode 27, where we talked about organized veterinary medicine, the AVMA, American Veterinary Medical Association, you know how important the AVMA is to all of our careers, both as vet students and as veterinarians. So PLIT, the Professional Liability Insurance Trust, which is an arm of the AVMA, is part of the AVMA family and protects veterinarians throughout their careers starting in veterinary school. In addition to their student malpractice coverage, PLIT supports students and schools through sponsorships, and that includes all for students, the VBMA or Veterinary Business Management Association, VLE or the Veterinary Leadership Experience, and SAFMA. So be sure to watch your inbox throughout uh, the school year, every school year, for email announcements from your PLA student ambassador, and visit avmaplit.com slash unleashed to see when PLIT's trust veterinarians are visiting your school. Speaking from personal experience, I know I've had a lot of benefit from the PLIT, not only with my connection being a Mizzou student, but also being just a veterinary student in general. They come every year to talk to us about the different offerings and how they can make our lives easier and safer when we're out in practice. But really, most uh, importantly for right now in, in veterinary school, they've been able to provide me the peace of mind when I'm out on externships, knowing that I do have some coverage, God forbid, something terrible were to happen and someone were to come after me. But what's really special about PLIT is how much they care about students and veterinarians. They don't feel like your typical insurance company that's just trying to sell you product. They really care about our careers, our patients, and our clients. The AVMA PLIT is always looking for new ways to support the future of veterinary medicine. That's us. This fall... The fall of 2018, the PLIT is launching the In My Field Challenge. It's a photo contest to show off your hard work in the profession that you love. So keep an eye out uh, from the PLIT student Facebook page. Go follow them on Facebook right now if you haven't. And uh, see the contest announcements that are going to be posted soon. Learn more about this new contest and learn about all the great things that AVMA PLIT can provide for you by visiting avmaplit.com slash unleashed okay now back to the navli as i mentioned before this is one of my favorite pieces of navli information that i've found uh talking about the species breakdown and how the questions are broken down between topics and between the species so um i've got a couple graphs that i've i've uh just made this a little bit easier to read and i'll post those on the website so that you guys can go and, and check that out so here's what i found and I'll first I'll go by uh, just the number of questions that is broken down by species, and then I'll give that as a percentage afterwards. So to no surprise, the vast majority of species questions is going to be dogs and cats, canines and felines. So out of the 360 questions, the NAVALI actually publicizes that 70 of those questions are dog and 68 of those questions are feline. The next two most frequently asked species, uh, not too much of a surprise, is equine and bovine. So the numbers, 47 questions for horses and 45 questions for cattle. Now, that is actually going to be the majority of the exam. Now, majority not meaning nearly all of it, but but that should be where most of your studying 
is going to lay in those four major species. The the next leading uh, species in terms of the the questions that are asked takes actually quite a bit of a dip down in, in the number of questions. So the next one is actually pigs. And they come in at 17 questions out of the 360. And then we take another big dip down, and then the rest of the sections here, or the rest of the species, rather, are all relatively in line with each other. So we had pigs at at 17, and then going down to 10 questions each, we have four different areas. So 10 questions for pet birds, 10 questions for other small animals. So I would imagine that that's going to be uh, guinea pigs and rabbits and gerbils and and other types of um, small pocket pets and lab animals. And then 10 questions for goats and sheep. And then 10 for public health. And then we get even down to smaller numbers. Six questions for poultry, three questions for non-species specific, two questions for cervids, and two questions for camelids. So do the math, and those add up to 360 questions. So let's look at this from a percentage standpoint, because I think it's actually a bit easier to think about it as a percentage of the test rather than number of questions, because it can really help you gear your studying in terms of how much to focus on which species uh, and, and which species to maybe not focus on as hard. So we're looking at uh, the first two big, really big species that is going to be tested on, which is canine and feline. So 23% of the questions are going to be each of those, 23% canine and 23% feline. And moving down the line, 16% of the questions are horses, and 15% of the questions are bovine. So 23, 23, 16, and 15, that is almost three quarters of the exam that is going to be focused on canine, feline, equine, and bovine. That last quarter chunk is all going to be split between pigs, pet birds, other small animals, sheep and goat, public health, poultry, non-species specific, cervids, and camelids. So I know that personally speaking, and I've spoken to a lot of friends about this, that when we get questions on vet prep or Zuku about pigs especially and chickens, those are like the two most annoying questions to get because a lot of us are not nearly as familiar with those two areas of veterinary medicine as, say, small animal, food animal, and equine. But rest assured, if you did not even know a single thing about pigs or poultry, which I'm I'm sure you is not the case, you'll at least get a few questions right on those species. Pigs, for example, only account for 6% of the exam, poultry only 2%. So what I'm saying here is that, yes, you're going to spend probably a lot of time studying pigs and poultry because you may not feel as comfortable or confident in those areas. But listen, between even just the two of those species that we're talking about, pigs and chickens, that's only 8% of the exam. And we'll get into a little bit later about what is needed to pass, uh, the typical pass rate, uh, which is, again, another convoluted topic. But really, if you look at it from this big pie chart way of thinking, 8% of the exam is not a whole lot. If you really focus a lot of your studying time and a lot of your focus on those four major species again, dogs, cats, horses, and cows, that is going to make up about three quarters, 75% of the exam. So 
that has kind of changed my mentality in terms of studying where I really want to focus on those four main areas. If I can feel pretty darn confident about those, then I think I'm going to do pretty well. And I think that that can go for most people. Now, that's not to say that you should totally neglect these other areas of the exam that only account for one, two, four percent of the exam. So again, talking about camelids, uh, public health, goats and sheep, uh, and birds, pet birds, that is, um, you know, just try not to worry so much about those, um, those species. So on how the questions are broken down within the species. So there's not a whole lot of information here about the, uh, the exact topics, but they do group them into three major categories of how they ask the questions. Uh, the vast majority of the questions um, are going to be within two major uh, types of, of questioning. 46% of the questions are going to be about data gathering and interpretation. So I would anticipate uh, getting a, a, a relatively short history about a case, maybe getting some some clinical pathology data back uh, and using that to make an interpretation, uh, a decision about the next step in care, et cetera, et cetera. About 47% of the exam is going to be about health maintenance and problem management. So I think a lot of our food animal um, food animal questions are going to come within this category, but I know that a lot of um, uh, public health will be asked in that. A lot of rabies questions, for example, uh, will be asked in that category as well. So that is health maintenance and problem management. So the last 7% of the exam is going to be some of these quote unquote, soft skills that we have developed and learned throughout our career so far, that 7% is going to be given as professional behavior, communication, and practice management. So um, again, communication, business practices, um, professionalism, all of those, those softer skills, not really science related towards veterinary medicine are going to be asked in that small sliver of the exam. So I know that that is a lot of numbers breakdown, but uh, let's say let's see if we, if we can uh, sum that up. That is really uh, for me to say to you that spend most of your time studying dogs, cats, horses, and cattle. If you can feel really confident about those four four main areas, then you're going to feel confident about three quarters of the exam. Okay, moving on to probably one of the most sought-after answers about the NAVLI, and I'm uh, talking about the pass rate and passing scores, and really sadly, uh, sadly to report that it is not exactly known what the minimum scores needed to pass the NAVLI. It changes every year. The, uh, the the methodology behind how they determine a passing score is not widely publicized. There are some rumors out there, um, and, I, and I'll share some of those with you today. Um, but uh, let's see. So the, the according to chatter on the Internet, I found some publications by some other veterinary schools, um, some forums, that according to this chatter, the presumed passing rate uh, or rather the threshold to to break in terms of how many questions you need to answer correctly is about 60 to 70%. I believe that, um, at least from, from this brief research that I've done, that that number is probably leaning toward the upper half of that range. So let's say between 65 and 70%. Um, 
that if you uh, aim for that range, that that should get you a passing score. So let's talk about how the scores are reported and what you're going to see when you get your score results back. Um, And by the way, while I'm on that topic, it should be mentioned that you do not get your score immediately after you finish the exam the day that you take it. Unfortunately, you're going to have to wait a couple months until they uh, they compile the all the scores because remember this exam is given over a uh, period of time uh, about a six week period of time in the fall winter and then a uh, two or three week period of time again in April. So typically, since most of us are going to be taking the exam in November December, the typical delivery date for your scores is going to be sometime in early to mid January. So let's talk about the scores. Keep in mind that your score is going to be reported in a three-digit number, and that number is going to be ranging from 200 to 800. And always, every single year, they designate that a 425 is the minimum passing score. So if you, when you get that email back in, let's say, January, if you're going to take the exam in the fall, that you need to break 425 points to pass. Now, that does not... I repeat, does not correlate to a percentage where, you know, 425 out of 800, which is, uh, of course, a little over 50%, that that does not mean anything. It is just a, a number that they assign for a passing score, and then depending on how they scale the questions and, and how many you need to get right, that is how they determine the score. Yes, it is very uh, weird and complicated and a gray area, and I honestly don't have the, uh, the brain power or the interest in getting deep into into how it works because I don't think any of us are going to be able to understand it. Anyways, you may be asking, how is the Navli actually scored? Who decides the questions, first of all, and how do they determine how many you need to answer correctly in order to pass the exam? So here's the official verbiage off the Navli's website uh, regarding the passing scores. So, So here it goes. It is, quote, The NAVLI passing standard is determined by a panel of veterinarians who are experts in the content areas assessed by the NAVLI. This panel reviews the NAVLI and makes judgments as to the test performance required of entry-level veterinarians. The collective judgments of the panel members are used to establish a NAVLI score representing the lowest acceptable passing score on the examination. Candidates who achieve a score equal or higher than this criterion reference passing score receive a pass classification and end quote. So really there's not a whole lot more to touch on with that. I think that, you know, in your, um, in your, in your prep, you want to be aiming for at least 60 to 70% of the questions correctly. And also remember here too, that, and I'll get on my soapbox here for a second, that you just need to pass this exam. If you get a 90%, 100% on the exam, or just the minimum passing score, it does not make any difference on your pay, if you get a job or not, what residency you get, what internship you get. People aren't looking at the score that you receive on the NAVLI. They want to know if you pass or not. And of course, if you want to practice in North America, your state is going to require that you get a, a passing certificate from NAVLI in order to to obtain that license. So don't, you know, we're all, we're all really high achievers here and we like to get the highest score that we possibly, possibly can. And I'm not saying not to do that, but let's say if you don't get an 800 on the NAVLI, which is the highest score that you can get, 
it really doesn't make any difference if you get an 800 versus a 425, which is the minimum passing score. Okay, I'll step off my soapbox. So the last topic for today's guide to the Navali is prep. So I know that I mentioned in the first part of the podcast that the Navali is designed to be passed by any one that's graduating uh, veterinary school. Anyone that can pass vet school should be prepared to pass the Navali. But we all know that just passing veterinary school does not set you up to automatically pass the Navali. For most of us, it's going to take months and months of prep uh, to make sure that you're ready to pass the exam. Of course, this exam tests you over most of the knowledge that we've been given throughout vet school, and it is impossible to remember all of that from the first couple days of vet school up until you take the exam in your fourth year. So uh, preparation is definitely, definitely warranted. Uh, I, speaking from um, from my experience, would not recommend not doing any prep for the NAVLI. So if you're certainly a third or fourth year, you're well aware of the couple of, of NAVLI preparation um, programs out there. But if you're first or second year, you may not be totally uh, aware of these. So really, there are two big players when it comes to NAVLI prep. The first one is Zuku Review, and the second one is Vet Prep. So I encourage you to check out both of those review products and see which one is best for you. Both of them are fantastic. Both of them are similar in terms of the questions that they ask, how they uh, how they prepare you for the exam, They but they do differ in how they prepare you. From what I've heard, um, Zuku is much more visual and vet prep is much more conventional in terms of just giving you some sample questions, um, using some power pages that they, that they have compiled to, uh, to focus on some hot topics, um, and some frequently asked, um, frequently asked topics on the Navli, but both are really great. Both are a bit different in terms of the learning style. So I encourage you to check out both of those when you're making the decision to choose a, uh, a, a preparation product. So another thing you can do to prep for the exam, which is not really widely talked about, uh, and these are a couple of things that you can do much closer to the exam, is, uh, is provided by the ICVA. It's, it's the, the, the parent organization that, that preps and provides the NAVLI. So here are the two things that you can do. First, there are 60 sample questions along with an answer key that's available on the ICVA website. And these questions, uh, again, are samples and they are free to access on their website. So it's a really good way to get acquainted with how the NAVLI questions are structured, um, the type of questions that they may ask, and it'll also give you the answer key so you can learn a little bit about the content along the way. And the second tool that they have for you, also offered by the ICVA, are self-assessments that are available, again, on the ICVA website. Each of these self-assessments contains 200 questions, and it does cost $50 each for the assessment. You can take as many as you like. And from what I've heard from past graduates and people that have recently taken the NAVLI is that these assessments, while they do cost money, are a really, really great way to forecast your performance on the NAVLI. From what I've heard through the grapevine is that people that have taken these self-assessments within a month before taking the actual NAVLI, the score that they received on the self-assessments was pretty darn close to actually what they received 
on the Navli. So it's a really good way to to assess how you are doing in your studying and maybe giving a bit of a, uh, a semi-accurate forecast on how you'll do on the Navli. So it goes without saying that taking at least one of these assessments has been really highly recommended to me. I've not taken one of these assessments yet myself, but I do plan on taking at least one uh, probably about a month or so before my date for the Navli. So that does it for this little guide to the Navli. Hope that it provided you some information that you may have been wondering about and some information that may be a little bit hard to, to get hold of. So remember that you can find out more about the Navli on the ICV website at www.icva.net slash Navli. That is N-A-V-L-E. And I will also post uh, their extensive guide where I got most of this information for the podcast today uh, about the test on the Vet School Unleashed website. Just go to this episode page. It'll be right there. And I'll also post the question breakdown so you can see that in the visual format as well. So with that, one more time, a huge thank you to today's sponsor, AVMA PLIT. If you're a SAFMA member and haven't already signed up for the PLIT's free student coverage, visit avmaplit.com slash unleashed. Take advantage of this member benefit and enjoy the peace of mind during your clinical experiences. PLIT is protecting you through it all. Thank you for listening to the Vet School Unleashed podcast. Again, if you feel so inclined, I ask that you please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or on iTunes and let us know what you think about the podcast. For resources and more information about the podcast, please check us out at www.vetschoolunleashed.com or find me on Instagram at SethTheAlmostVet or on Facebook. You can connect with me via email at Seth at VetSchoolUnleashed.com. I would love to hear your thoughts about today's podcast. I would also love to hear any suggestions or topics you'd want to hear us talk about. Even reach out if you want to be on the podcast yourself and share some insight of your own. Thanks again, and we will talk to you next time on Vet School Unleashed, Dissecting the DVM. Dissecting the DVM.